Phil, open us in prayer here. Lord God, uh, we thank you for the day. We thank you for the opportunity you provide us to come together as family, to come together with heads bowed to praise you and to ask of you that you be with us throughout our lives as you have promised to do. There are some of us who need you in special ways. All of us need you in the way of your son that uh, we can live according to your will and his example of his will. We thank you for the lesson that we're going to study in uh, just a few minutes and ask that you encourage us to enable us to live this lesson out in our lives. It's because of Jesus that we're here. Without him, we, our lives would be hopeless, and it's through him we pray. Amen. Thank you so much, Phil. We've got a lot of things going on with the open house in a couple different places, so our numbers inside here will be a little bit less, but we hope uh, some folks are joining us as well. And I can also see you guys creeping back. I understand that, but uh, <laughs> it's helpful for communication. We can be a little close in the future, but that's all right. Um, <clears throat> I, uh, we are continuing. This is uh, just, just getting started. We're doing kind of the, uh, the introduction to this new class series. <clears throat> We're calling Life Together off of the title of that book. This is, uh, you can tell I've had this for a while, an old version of the book, but uh, edition of the book, but uh, by a guy named uh, Dietrich Bonhoeffer. But here's a way I want to I think about our time this morning. What do you do on those times in life when your expectations fail, right? You can import whatever expectations you want to here for your family, for your church life, for your country, whatever it may be. What do you do in those times when, when if you get the description of it, when the, when the soaring expectations you have for life come crashing down on the hard rocks of reality, right? What do you do in times like that? How do you wrestle through what the experience looks like when you have a dream and it goes a different way? I, I, there's any number of ways you can think about individually, you can think about in a family setting, you think about in a, in a, uh, in a community setting. I, mean, I think about a friend of mine who, who really had prayed and worked and kind of set things up in such a way. He had a really secure job, a job that he cared about. It was good. But he had that, as you know this, there's an inkling sometimes that, okay, I need to, to move a different way. I feel like I'm called to move a different way. And for, I, I remember it was probably two, two and a half years, he set up what was necessary to kind of wind things up where he was going and start a new job and a new work. Um, and he did that, and he dove into it. The only problem was um, when he started his new job was February of last year. So, of course, as the last employee hired, he was the first employee that was let go when COVID hit. Two and a half years of expectations. What do you do when your expectation and vision in your mind, when it's a godly one and a good one, it was for him? comes crashing down on reality. I, I think of uh, a couple that I know who for years and years kind of worked hard and served God well and started planning for their retirement years. And he and the couple had already set up and started doing some things that, as, as you know, most people who retire, I see one of them, don't slow down at all. They just kind of shift what their focus is. And he already saw where he was going with the focus of the next stage of his life. And he started setting that up. And he was doing great stuff in that area. 
And she was imagining all the places that we're going to go and the different ways that we'd serve God together. And then a few years before retirement, he suddenly and tragically died. And then now for the next stage of her life, all of the plans that she had had, or at least many of them, are completely reformed and shaped. What do you do when your expectations, especially the godly and good ones, seem to fail? Now remember what we're trying to do with this particular study is we're not, it, we, are, we are referencing a book and playing off the book. Some of you may want to read through it. If you, great, if you do, no problem at all if you don't. Here's the picture that I have is that we're studying a text of scripture off of some theme like we just introduced, but we're inviting this guy from Christian history, we call Dietrich Bonhoeffer is his name, who lived in the first half of the last century, we're inviting him to sit in the room with us and help us answer that question through the text of Scripture. Does it make sense? That's kind of the way we're doing it. So I want you to think about 1927, I think it was. He's 21 years old. We referenced this a little bit last week. It'll let us catch up to where he was in the story. Can you imagine young Bonhoeffer? He's 21 years old. He just finished his doctoral thesis, and if you were... Here last week, you remember that I said the focus of his theological study was what does it look like when the people of God, the community of God, is at its healthiest and best? What does it look like when they're living together in such a way that they make an impact and a difference on the world? That was his dream and vision as a 21-year-old theologian and pastor-to-be. All he wanted to do was use the gifts that he had to serve a local body of believers and then to write for the larger body and to live out what it looked like. Can you imagine his dream of how he would write and teach and preach and the community of God would come alive? And then we said, you know, last week, I think it's 1933, he's giving an early lecture in his community and his theology on the radio in Berlin and he's calling out the public community and the people in the church for to not sell out to what he called a would-be leader. And we know that leader was Hitler. And the problem was that they did. And so last week, again, we talked about he left and went to London for a period of time because he didn't want to compromise the Christian faith with what was going on in the sellout of the German uh, society at that time. You know he came back. He was challenged by... Karl Barth. He would later say, by the way, I wasn't running away. What I was doing in London when he was working in the in, in pastoring two churches really there was preparing him to go back and do what he did when he when he went back and re-engaged in Germany. So I want to kind of pick it up there just for a moment. Again, we won't do much of the history. I want to get you to the place where we're coming into the text and then dialoguing with the story. But he came back and and again, we said last week he started, and I just love this, he started a secret, underground, illegal <laughs> seminary where he's training young pastors to be different, to make a difference, maybe to start living out the things he studied when he was 21. Again, already right there, by the way, you can tell that was probably a little different than the way he had it in his mind, <laughs> that it would be going, that he would be teaching and training pastors, not illegally, not secretly. Uh, I drop in here, I don't want to spend a lot of time on this, but it would be irresponsible not to talk about this a little bit. Um, one of the most controversial parts of Dietrich Bonhoeffer's story is that he um, ended up engaging when he came back. He wanted to be part of the, those who were resisting Hitler, and so he actually became, it's not inaccurate to call him a spy. 
I mean, he started working in official places for the main purpose so that he, keep, he could keep teaching and preaching and he wouldn't have to end up going into the army or something like that a lot of people his age were. So he ended up essentially working as a spy. He was giving information to the allied forces and all of that. But the controversial part is how much did he get involved in what would become assassination attempts on Hitler's life? Because that same movement that he was a part of and supporting did that. And there, again, I just throw this out here for, for historical accuracy's sake. People debate about that. Because Bonhoeffer started as pretty much a nonviolent, think Martin Luther King Jr. kind of guy. Um, in fact, he was on his way to see Gandhi when people kind of called him out to come back and re-engage in Germany. So he has that kind of theology a little bit, but he ends up being part and totally supporting. He, there's no question he supported the organization that also part of their resistance was trying to take Hitler out. Um, and again, if you read this in the introduction of the book, it says part of the reason he did this, and we'll amplify more, is because he believed it was irresponsible for Christians to try to do nothing. <laughs> and and there's, a, there's a great quote in there, I'll, I'll drop it in. It would be irresponsible, cowardice, and flight from reality not to at least in some way or another, he said, join the resistance. And listen to this quote, the sin of respectable people. All right. We know the sins of evil people and all that kind of stuff that in our boxes and categories, but he said the sin of respectable people reveals itself in the flight from responsibility. It's similar to what Martin Luther King Jr. would write in his letter from the Birmingham jail. The greatest example of sins in most churches are the ones when they do nothing, not when they do something evil or bad. Okay, so whatever you do with his engagement in, we won't talk a whole lot about that and whether it's right or wrong to... You know, support a, a, a plot against Hitler. We just don't know how far that went um, with his personal thing. But the main focus of what he was doing, his involvement with that was so that he could keep doing what he was calling to do. That was teach and preach. And he did that secretly and underground um, until the point where he got arrested. He didn't get arrested for a plot against Hitler's life. He got arrested because, I just love this, he used government money to uh, set 14 Jewish people free. <laughs> so I think that's kind of funny. So he used their own money to, to, uh, to try to rescue 14 Jewish people. And then he and, and many members of his family were arrested. Now, here's the thing I didn't even know until I went and engaged this study. You need to think of his imprisonment in two blocks. I promise you we'll get past this historical stuff quickly. But the, the first block for about 18 months was not like an Auschwitz kind of place. It was, it was a lower key, if you can call anything this, a little more hospitable to the prisoner, so to speak. And, and for the first several months, he just kind of begged them and worked with them. All he wanted to do was to be able to write his family, his parents especially, to let them know he was going to be okay or whatever, just to kind of calm their fears. And they did that. But here's what's cool. Over the course of the first several months, the guards and the medical staff started liking this guy. They couldn't help it. They started liking this guy, and they actually helped him out. And in that um, 18 months that he was in that first imprisonment, that's when he wrote letters and papers and documents that they actually got out and gave it to other people. And I got a different book in my office that comes from that 18 months. It's called Letters and Papers from Prison. And we only have that because in his first imprisonment, he kind of lived in such a way that the guards and all them kind of liked him a little bit. So we'll, we'll talk more about that in, in, in a moment. Um, so in that period of time, he influences the larger Christian community and to this day from a jail cell. Now you can imagine how that launches me into what a good text might be. 
because I imagine not just Dietrich Bonhoeffer sitting in this room, but the authoritative voice that God has inspired to sit in this room is another guy whose expectations got changed a little bit in the way he would do ministry. Maybe you've heard before, he too, as a younger man, essentially got their version of a PhD under the most respected or one of the most respected rabbis in that day and age, a rabbi named Gamaliel trained a guy named Saul. We know him better as Paul. And he had expectations for what his ministry would be like. And we, we all have heard the story how those expectations changed just a little bit when he met a guy named Jesus. And instead of sitting in the comfortable places that the Pharisees would sit and to teach and to pontificate, he wrote some letters and papers from prison. And I want to look at a text from one of those in the book of Philippians. So if you have your Bibles or your phones, go to Philippians chapter 1. There are other occasions when we studied Philippians, we've looked at this, but I want to look at this passage in light of the question of how do we handle expectations when they go wrong for us. And what can you do when you write your letters and papers from prison? So let's take a look at this. And, and again, this is the way we'll, we'll do the rest of our time together, as we always do. I will now read the text, and you share with me, what do you see? And you might be thinking about, what can we learn in this text from how we handle our own expectations kind of coming crashing down? Or just whatever grabs you. I believe in the Holy Spirit there. And then I promise you, I will weave into that conversation. Here are things that made me think about Paul in relation to Dietrich Bonhoeffer and if he were sitting in the room maybe what he might notice in the text you know I'm playfully thinking about that so Philippians chapter 1 verse 12 now I want you to know brothers and sisters that what has happened to me what has happened to him he's thrown in jail for the sake of the gospel what has happened to me has actually served to advance the gospel and as a result it's become clear throughout the whole palace guard and to everyone else that I am in chains for Christ. And because of my chains, most of the brothers and sisters have become confident in the Lord and dare all the more to proclaim the gospel without fear. It's true that some preach Christ out of envy and rivalry, but others out of goodwill. The latter do so out of love, knowing that I'm put here for the defense of the gospel. The former preach Christ out of selfish ambition, not sincerely, supposing that they can stir up trouble for me while I am in chains. But what does that matter? The important thing is that in every way, whether from false motives or true, Christ is preached. And because of this, I rejoice. An astounding letter from prison. If we have time, we'll look at the next section. But what do you notice there? And we've got Keith's on either side of the room will help us uh, with, a, with a mic. And I think a Keith in the back wants to say something. So, if Keith. <laughs> you know, Dean, um, you got me thinking at the very beginning of things that didn't go right in, in my life. And when I look back on those, and the same thing in the text, the way he begins it with Paul, when things don't go right at the time, you think, my goodness, this is, this is going to be so bad. And then you look back 10, 15, 20 years later, you go, God meant it for good. Yes. And, and you gave three examples, Bonhoeffer, Paul, and Martin Luther King Jr., all writing from prison. Yep. And those are some of their most famous works. You know, and so it's a bad situation, one that they would not choose. Right. Same with us in our lives, maybe not, not that dramatic, but we look back on them and say, I have been blessed as a Christian because of these things that just didn't work out. Yes, yes. So much more so 
than I would have been if, if things had gone as I wanted them to. Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. I love that. So we think of these examples. We might be even drawn to think of some examples in our own life where we're sitting in the metaphorical prison cell of our crashed expectations and are starting to make the move that Paul makes. By the way, I do want to just drop in here. I think the first time I ever taught on this here, I mentioned this too. If you are going through something and you're right at the heart of it and it's just emotional and weighing on you and it's a terrible situation, the perspective that Paul will give us and the perspective that Bonhoeffer will share with us is not where we start. Can I just quickly say that? <laughs> this is a kind of a little bit more take a deep breath, Christian mature reflection on it. Not that we're immature when we're not there. It's just it takes a little while to get there, right? So I, I just want to say again very quickly, if, you're, if it's very fresh and you're hearing, man, expectations have blown up, and so I have to jump to this theological reflection, let me just say this, the biblical starting point is lament. So go to the Psalms and grieve and let that go. We're, ta we're, we're talking about the next step, so just so you know, I, wanna, I don't want to uh, sidestep uh, that part. Other thoughts, reflections, if they're a part of this text, maybe words that grab you or something that that fits in terms of what we can learn in our own setting or anything at all that grabs you in this moment. I was thinking two things, maybe three. The first of which, Paul and I guess Diedrich Bonhoeffer stepped outside of themselves and pointed straight to Christ. I know Paul did. And it was not anything to do with him or anything to do with anybody around him. It was all to do about Pointing yes. to Christ. Yes. That was his expectation. That was his in what? In the end. Pull, pull the mic a little closer to you. That, that was way. his expectation in the end. Maybe not in the beginning. Oh, I love that. Different, I guess. in the end, Paul's expectation was in Christ alone. Yes. And no matter what the world has done to us, against us, for us, that is really pointless. What we should always have and remind ourselves yeah, is that. the expectation is only on the solid rock foundation of the gospel in Jesus Christ, yes, period. Yes. And when we get to that acceptance level, mm -hmm. it doesn't matter circumstantially what is going on. Yeah. It does. We, we get stressed. We get anxiety. We get fear. But if we continue to go back, me and my husband and the church, to the word of God and our Savior, Jesus Christ, that's the only expectation that we oh, have. Oh, that's so beautiful. That is the will and the truth. Yeah, that's great. What a great way to put it, that, that the expectations that Paul had at the beginning of his ministry and training and all that, it's almost like Paul didn't just get baptized. His expectations got baptized too, right? God's going to transform what it is that we can expect. And you'll see that more in the next section. He will actually use, I love the way you go, you have just a great reading of Scripture. He will use the words, I'm expecting something. He will tell us that. So, don't hear me or them or anything say expectations are bad in of themselves. But you may have heard this saying before. I've mentioned it before. I heard a friend of mine say once, expectations are premeditated resentments. Uh, I think Mark said something about that recently too. Expectations, if I put too much weight on what I'm thinking the world ought to be about, I'm choosing to be angry and upset before it even happens. Because we know what usually happens to the scripts that we, I'll just say it for me, the scripts I write for the world almost never seem to come out the way that the world really does. So there's something about transforming in part our perspective, which Paul is doing here, and part of maybe the, what, what godly expectations really are. I love that, Kimberly. Thank you for that. 
Any other thoughts on this part of this? Yes, Nancy. Second. But what does it matter? What I does like it matter? He said that because sometimes we have to say that. Yes. In the scheme of things, just doesn't matter. Yes, yes. And and he's talking about that in a section, the second section he, uh, of this little opening part. There are people, and this sounds kind of weird, but remember, if you're living in a culture where for him standing up for the gospel of Jesus got him thrown into prison, then there were some other people going around, well, let's talk about Jesus a little bit more. Let's make it, let's stir up the controversy a little bit. Let's keep it on the no news, so to speak. Why? Because we care about what we're talking about? No, because it actually made things harder for Paul in jail. I mean, that's kind of crazy, isn't it? But that's what, he, that's what happens. And what an incredible perspective that Paul says. Okay, what does it matter? They're talking about Jesus. Now, again, hear me. That is an advanced, probably worked through it. Elsewhere in Paul's letters, he'll talk about wrestling and all that stuff. And, you know, I shared with you a text, what, a month and a half ago or whatever. Paul said, I'm, I'm, overcome, I'm overwhelmed. It's beyond my ability to do it. So don't make Paul a superman. But in this moment, he's saying, all right, great. They're talking about Jesus. Stirring stuff up, no big deal. Right? They're talking about Jesus. And like Kimball said, that is my focus. You know, my focus here is to use my life in such a way that's turning people to what matters most, as we talked about last week. What matters most, what the world really needs, and all that's happening. I love that. Beautiful. Beautiful. Uh, just a couple things I'll drop in before we, the big point here, too, and I want to hear yours, uh, other things you're saying. But uh, in verse 13, don't, don't rush past this. He said, it's become known, not just in the church, not just in the community out there. Where has it become known that he's there for Jesus? The whole palace guard. It's interesting to me that Paul's work and the life that he's faithfully living in the jail cell isn't just affecting the people he's trying to pastor, the people in his imagination that he thought he was always going to be working with, the church folks and those kind of folks, maybe just the, the folks in the community. No, they, they, they throw him in jail and great, he's going to talk to the guards about Jesus. <laughs> And it's become known to the guards. And you'll see later on in this book and other books, he will send them greetings from Caesar's guards. <laughs> Why? Because the witness comes out here. And I was just sitting here thinking about this. I was writing this class. I'm like, this is not the first time that someone who's thrown someone in jail and are carrying out the execution and punishment has been affected by a faithful life. And it wouldn't be the last. I mean, we can think of a thousand examples, but the first one in the Christian faith is from the one that the faith is in. You remember this? Mark chapter 15, and I quote, When the centurion, who's carrying out the execution of this prisoner named Jesus, when the centurion saw how he died, he said, Surely, this is the Son of God. <laughs> the first <laughs> martyr of the Christian faith affected the guards who were carrying out the execution. That's pretty cool. And it wouldn't be just the first uh, it would happen again and again through history. If you read the introduction, what about this one on page 12? It said, during this time, that 18 months, the guards were friendly to this strong pastor. And I just love this. There are certain things that just don't rush past the historical moment. Secretly took him to the cells of despairing prisoners to minister to them. You see that? These are the people that are carrying out the Nazi orders 
And something happened in the first few months of this imperfect, broken, but Christ-following man. They said, dude, this guy could help people. By the way, they're prisoners. Why do they care to help the other prisoners? But something happened in their heart when they saw a life surrendered to Jesus that said, not only am I going to take care of this guy, I'm going to bring him to pastor the people in jail. Isn't that awesome? Wow. Not the first or the last time. It has become known through the whole Nazi guard that I'm in this jail cell for Jesus. The next line it says, And they were the ones who preserved his papers, essays, and poems, and even established a complete courier service to the families and friends outside. Wow. You can't lock the guy up because he'll convert the guards. <laughs> Isn't that great? Would it be that the gospel of Jesus so saturates my life that in the worst moments, the bad starts getting transformed by the gospel and not my expectations and outlooks and demeanor and attitude gets transformed by the darkness? It's a mature view. I'm not there yet. But wow, it's a powerful thing. Any other ones in this section before I kind of bring Bonhoeffer in the room and say, what does he have to say about it? All right, well, let me throw this one in. The, the, part of what I'm doing in this is I'm dialoguing with the, with the text is of, of the language in this text, what, what seems to kind of resonate off of what Bonhoeffer was writing or living. Um, and I love in verse 16, this, I'm going to say it fast. I'm going to say it the way I want to say it. Verse 16, I'm put here for the defense of the gospel. He said, I'm put here for the defense of the gospel. Last week, I talked about something that uh, my, one of my preachers and teachers uh, a, a tool he gave me to read scripture sometime, remember? And I said, sometimes you take a verse and then just punch a different word in the sentence and you'll maybe see things you didn't see before. And we gave an example last week. This, I just want to do it with one. We gave three different things this time. Let me say it again. I think if Bonhoeffer were sitting in the room, he would say, this is the verse that grabs me. Maybe. I am put here for the defense of the gospel. I'm put here for the defense of gospel. Where, where are you put, Paul? prison cell where are you put in a pharisee community did you know in the god go read acts paul never stopped saying i'm a pharisee we make it like evil good paul said i'm still a pharisee paul god put him there so he did some things with pharisees god took this guy who was a jewish guy and made him the apostle of the gentiles where are you i'm i'm in pagan courts and i'm in jewish synagogue Take this sentence in, and, and what if we applied it to our life? I am here for the good news of Jesus. I'm right here. So here's the way I'm thinking about it. Like, maybe Bonhoeffer would say it's something like this. Your present life circumstances, your actual life is where God wants to most powerfully work. Let me say that again. Your circumstances as they are right now, your life as it is right now, is the place where God most wants to work. And if, if you're like me, my first thought to something like that is, well, of course. Hold on. No, not of course. Because my problem is I can live in every possible reality but the one I'm in sometimes. And you could just give your own examples. I just kind of thought about... It, this in terms of, of church life or family life or, or whatever the case may be. Um, I remember reading um, Eugene Peterson, the one that translated the message. He, was, he wrote a book 
um, to pastors. But I don't, th- I, I don't think it's just to pastors. I think it's to, to anybody who, who gets involved in church life long enough to realize the church is imperfect. Have you found that out yet? <laughs> and he said, here's the problem. He was talking about pastors, but it can be true for us too. He said, I see pastor after pastor after pastor after pastor who's running from one church to the next to the next. And here's why. Think about this. Because they have in their head the ideal perfect church that they want it to be. And they'll come in for a little while, and they'll try to get that church to be exactly the way it's supposed to be. And I, I think it's great to influence the church, but I've been there before as a younger minister. Man, it was my job to fix the church and to change the church and to redeem the church. Well, there's a guy that's already signed up for that job. But he said, here's the problem. He said, whether it's a pastor or the person sitting in the pew, we can get so caught up in what we think the church ought to be, we forget to love the church as it actually is right in front of our face. You hear me? What is Bonhoeffer telling us? What is Paul saying? I am put here for the sake of the good news. People and churches are ridiculously complex. Perhaps we are invited to look at who we are and not who we want us to be. Now that's not talking about visioning. We need to do all of that as we love the people as they are, where they are right now, right here. So it happens in churches, happens in families, doesn't it? Can't tell you how many times I've experienced in my own life, but especially as I work, you know, I do most of my work with men, and we'll sit down and we'll talk. And one of the things, many things, when I'm talking about a man, talk to a man about his marriage, here's one of the themes that I always try to get through to him, and I, I do it myself. Can you love the wife you have, and not the one you want her to be in your mind? How many marriages have failed? Because they spent the whole time trying to fix the other person, make the other person the ideal picture that they wanted him to be. A great uh, theological line from the great theologian Don Henley. (laughs) He wrote, we've been poisoned by these fairy tales. So we get the happily ever after dream in our head. When it doesn't look like that, people will run or throw a wrench into everything. Does it make sense? What if we learn that God most powerfully wants to work right here, right where we are with the people that we are with? And it's not just husband and wife, it's parent and children. How many parents have have thrown some real obstacles in the lives of their kids because their kids are not living up to their expectations? How many children have been at odds with their parents because they can't come to the place, it takes a long time to get there, to say, this is wrong and this is hurtful and you shouldn't have done this and you did the best you could with the toolbox that were given. And we come together a little bit. You hear what I'm saying? So families can get destroyed because we're living with an ideal picture in our mind what families are supposed to be like instead of the complexity of people in front of them. And the last thing I'll say is how often do we check out of our own hearts and lives because we can't stand the real world in front of us? Again, the other thing I do a lot with guys is we check out in any number of ways, and I know you ladies do too. And there can be good ways and bad ways or whatever. Workaholism has been a checkout for me before. Or I can't stand what's in front of me, so I'll just dive more deeply into work so I don't have to pay attention to what's going on. And it could be hurts, habits, and hang-ups, as they talk about in Celebrate Recovery or any number of things. It could be shopping. It could be the next deal. It could be drugs or alcohol or lust. What You fill in the blank. There's no better or worse. We all check out from reality. So isn't it powerful? Paul says, I'm put here for the sake of the gospel. And Dietrich Bonhoeffer said the same thing. Um, I want to read this. It's one of his letters from prison. Then we'll talk briefly for the last few minutes about the second section here. But hear this. He wrote that in that 18 months in a jail cell. He said, I believe that God 
both can and will bring good out of evil. Can I just stop really quickly? Like, I'll read stuff like that. Like, yeah, you know, amen. This guy's writing it in a Nazi jail cell. It's one thing to say God works in dark places, but when you're in the darkest place in human history close to it, these words, I don't know about you, but they, they take on almost an eerie mystical weight to them when he says it. I believe God can, can and will bring good out of evil. For that purpose, listen to this, what do we do? He needs people who can make the best use of everything. Who, who instead of wasting my time thinking about all the stuff I don't have, I look around and say, what do I have? What opportunity? What situation? What is here instead of somewhere else? He needs people who make the best use of everything. And great wisdom here. I believe God will give us all the power we need to resist in all time of distress. Right? So God's going to give us power to get through the hard time. We know that, but listen to this wisdom. But he never gives it in advance. All right, just taste that one for a minute. God will give us power to get through difficult times, but he will never give it to us in advance, lest we should rely on ourselves and not on him alone. Wow! Uh, best example of this in biblical history is this thing called manna. God says, I got you today. And don't try to store up for tomorrow what I give you today because it'll be rotten when you get there. And that sounds like an old kind of cool story. And I remember reading a book years ago, a preacher who pointed this out, and I never forgot it. Hear this. He said, God says his mercies are new, his strength is new every morning. Now, this is what he said. This is when I can fall. I'll put it for me. This is when I can fall in despair. Watch this because this happens all the time. I will begin to despair in my life, not because God hasn't given me strength today, but because I'm thinking about what? Tomorrow. And this is what I say, and this is true, I just didn't know it. I don't have the strength today to deal with what might happen tomorrow. And God says, you're right. <laughs> you have to take what I give you today and don't try to store it up because it'll exhaust today and tomorrow. And then tomorrow you say, all right, God. And this has, by the way, become a practice for me. Every, almost every morning I say that verse. Would you give me the verse? His mercies are new every morning. I don't know what I need today. Will you give it to me? Isn't that powerful? Bonhoeffer said this in a jail cell. How did he get all the way to the place he got? Because every day he got up and, and maybe his mission that day was to be taken by the guard down to the jail cell to the other guy and to bless his life for that day. Maybe that was all he did. I, I, I don't know, I just think, I told you this book is so fitting for me right now because I'm thinking about what the world might be like in all sorts of different ways. And today, God says, I got you now. Can you let me worry about that? Powerful. Thoughts on that? Any thoughts on that? That's kind of picture there on that. Kim, what? Go back to what you were talking about with the church and the growth, and you were saying, you were saying that, um, you know, not for the growth of the church, but until we get to the point of really intimacy with each other in church members, body members. The point of really what with each other? The in, getting intimate with each other. Yes, getting into each other's that's lives. That's the yeah. true relationships we have. Then the true spiritual growth occurs. Yes, yes. But without that, that relationship, that transparency, getting to know one another, right. our pains, our weaknesses, our failures, whatever they are, the dirt, the good, the bad and the ugly, there's no growth that can come yeah. unless it comes to the light. Yeah. 
whether it's good, bad, or whatever it is. Yes. It can't yes. grow. So right. I love what you said about that part of what was being done yeah. by Paul in the prison and by, I guess, Diedrich Bonhoeffer yeah. in his situation. Yeah. But just getting to know somebody. Yes. Good and bad. And to care. Frustrating and not. Yeah. It, right. It doesn't matter. It's what it is. And how do you grow without that knowing? Yeah. And I, I know that's beautiful. That's so beautiful. We're, we're given the opportunity in whatever moment stands right in front of us for God to show up in that place, right? Um, let me let me quick. We're running out of time here, so I, I just want to quickly look at this um, second section, and we'll just uh, we'll wrap up there. But um, second half of verse eighteen, Philippians one. Yes, and I will continue to rejoice. So he will now. This is what Kimberly was pointing us to. He will talk about what he's expecting, but it's a different kind of expectation than one that's driven by his own power. I will continue to rejoice, for I know that through your prayers and God's provision of the Spirit of Jesus Christ, what has happened to me will turn out for my deliverance. Now, he didn't know what that deliverance will look like, but he says, I know when you're praying and when God gives the gift of his Holy Spirit, which I think is part of the daily mercies, right? God's going to give me the presence of the Holy Spirit today to get through what he's sending me to or to deal with today, right? Isn't this amazing? Paul's in jail cell, and it sounds like, man, he's got this great attitude about it. He said, the only reason I have it is because you are praying for me and because God has gifted me with the Holy Spirit. It's powerful, isn't it? It will turn out for my deliverance. I eagerly, here you go, Kimberly, I eagerly what? Expect and hope that I will no be ashamed but we'll have sufficient courage that now as always, is it all going to work out? All going to be figured out? Is it his plan? No. But Christ, whatever happens, Christ will be exalted in my body, whether by life or death. He leaves the outcome to God. But he said, God, you're working in this frail, broken body, so I'm trusting you're going to do it. And this will mean fruitful labor for me. Yet what shall I choose, as if he had a choice, which I think is kind of funny, but he plays with this. What should I choose, to live or die, to be executed or not? I don't know. I am torn between the two. Again, a kind of mature Christian view. I desire to depart and be with Christ, which is better by far. But it is more necessary for you that I remain in the body. Convinced of this, I know that I will remain and will continue with all of you for your progress and joy in the faith. So that through my being with you again, your boasting in Christ, not in him, will abound on account of me. Um, sorry, we talked too long on the first part. I just want to throw out. Any, well, let, I, I do want to give just a second. Any, any, anything that grabs you, because I don't want to miss what the Holy Spirit said to you. Anything in that section that is particularly meaningful to you? Keith, you thinking something? You're leaning. This is kind of a, a prayer request. It may go more toward the first uh, uh, section that you were talking about. But I had a conversation with Kyle Beals um, on uh, Thursday. And um, Kyle spent a night in the hospital this past week, mainly to have a bunch of tests run. You know, he has uh, reduced lung capacity and, and has really gone uh, downhill the wrong direction. So they did a bunch of different tests. They've got him on one, one other drug that he should know something by the end of January, whether that's helped him or not. So his, his reality is, is pretty tough right now. And Kyle said on the phone to me, and he, and he referenced Paul, 
and he said, he said, you know, Paul suffered a lot. He said, I've got Jesus by my side. And he said, you know me. He said, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna, to uh, suffer and fight this just like, you know, I would. I, it's, it's sort of my reality. I'm going to do it. And, and it, it, your point about being renewed every morning with the strength from God, that, that's Kyle today. He, he faces one day at a time, and he, and he gets renewed every day. But I uh, just wanted to mainly let you all know that. And let you be praying for Kyle. And uh, he said he's open to cards and letters and calls. He said if you want to come visit, he said I'll get Nadine to work that out. But that might be awesome. that might be a little difficult for Kyle right now. Right. But really remember our brother Kyle because wow. this lesson that 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 uh, Dean has taught us today, he is embodying that wow. right now. Um, and so let, let's keep him in our prayers. Wow, that is so beautiful, isn't it? it what I love about that, Keith, thank you for shepherding us in that moment. That's exactly uh, the way you lead us so beautifully. This, these story, this is not history. We're not just, wasn't it cool what Paul did? Wasn't it cool what, totally cool, but wasn't it amazing what God did through Bonhoeffer? No, this is what we have the opportunity one way or another to relive. And don't we all know that you can say the same words about God? Whether he gets out of this thing or whether God delivers him a different way, he, everything he is is about Christ. And we'll see it and know it, right? Yes. Oh, I love it. Yes, yeah. Is quite familiar with the story of Joseph. Yes. I'm sure Bonhoeffer was quite familiar with the story of Paul. Yes. Kyle. Is quite familiar with all those stories as we are and that's what the living word does for us it puts examples of real people before us that we can look to and model in our own lives and yes. take heart in that yes I love that yeah uh, he didn't have the mic yet what Mark said isn't that what the living word is all about that the story of God is an ongoing drama in real life so let, let's end with this I want to I want to share this with you and um, Again, Bonhoeffer sitting in the room, he might, who knows, I mean, I'm not him, but he might say, what did Paul say? To live is Christ and to die is gain. To live is Christ and to die is gain. Now, hear me, that doesn't mean we check out of the world and we're just kind of sitting around twiddling our thumbs until Jesus comes back. No, 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 no. None of these people, Kyle included, are anything but all in this world. This, like, Hear me, if we take that line to say, let's just die and go to heaven, we're missing the whole point that he made in the whole rest of the text and what Bonhoeffer lived and died for. To be engaged in this world, what? Here. I'm here for the gospel. But he is trusting that God is working in the midst of all of it in much bigger ways than we could ever imagine. So here's the thing. It's not just that we work hard and good stuff happens. We pay attention to the moment. This isn't just kind of like earthly wisdom. God is present in the here and now, and yes, he has our future secured, all right? So we end with this. You know where the story maybe of Bonhoeffer ends, right? He had an, a fairly good situation that first 18 months, but they found out some things that were going on, and then they transferred him. They moved him around from prison to prison, and we're talking now the Auschwitz types, so that he wouldn't be able to keep writing stuff out. They even burned the last several papers, so this is incomplete. This is the last several things that he wrote. And then he ended up in, I forget the name of the place. The place doesn't matter. Um, but if you read the intro, 
there is one of the guys who testified to what happened in 1945. So it's a British officer that ends up in the same death camp. He was one of those people that Bonhoeffer ministered to, and these are his words. Bonhoeffer always seemed to me to spread an atmosphere of happiness and joy over even the least incident. The least little thing in life gave him joy. And profound gratitude for the mere fact that he was alive. He was one of the very few persons I've ever met for whom Christ was real and always near. The here really matters. And on Sunday, April 8th, 1945, listen to what he called him. Pastor Bonhoeffer. <laughs> Pastor not of a church outside, but the church of a jail cell. Pastor Bonhoeffer. Can you picture this? I didn't, I didn't know this part. Conducted a little service of worship. They had a little church service. And he spoke to us in a way that went to the heart of all of us. He found just the right words to express the spirit of our imprisonment, the thoughts and resolutions he had brought to us. You know the text he preached on? Isaiah 53, verse 5, by his wounds we are healed. So the prisoner preaches of the first prisoner, not Bonhoeffer, but this guy, Jesus, whose wounds heal us. And then this is how he ends. He had hardly ended his prayer when the door opened and two civilians entered and they said, prisoner Bonhoeffer, Pastor Bonhoeffer, come with us. And that had only one meeting for all of us prisoners, the gallery. We said goodbye to him and he took me aside and there's a lot of things that are famous last words. These are the last words that we know of Bonhoeffer. This is the end, but for me, the beginning of life. And the next day he was hanged. By the way, as you could hear the gunfire of the Allied forces who in a matter of days would come and liberate the camp. I, don't fig I can't figure all that out. Why didn't God hold him off just a couple more days and he gets out? I don't know. I don't know. But here's what I know. He was there, all there, for the sake of the good news of Jesus, to the very last moment that he breathed. And you might not be preaching a sermon. Some of you'd be like bandaging up wounds, or you'd be praying a prayer, or I don't know. He said, what, do I, what can I do in the jail? He was fully there. And that is my prayer for 2021, that I and we as the body of Christ will be fully present, not in the world we want it to be, not in the church that we have in our mind, but in the church and the people and the family and the places we are right now and right here. Father God, that's our prayer. That you would empower us to live as if we know this is true spiritually. That we live this out. That Jesus Christ is at work in us. And that we pray for each other, but you give us the gift of the Holy Spirit. Your daily mercies of the gift and the power and the presence of God right now today. And I pray that we live that out. And we'll fail and we'll mess it up, as I'm sure all of these folks did. But we get up again the next morning and receive the mercies you have for that until the day Jesus calls us home. And it will be, Paul's words, better by far. Until then, Father, we love this community and ask that you continue to work through it. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. Love you all.